I'm bored. You have a nice shirt. Thank you. It's very vibrant. I found it at a thrift store. No kidding. Yeah. So I had a, had a weird, weird day today, and I, I figured, um, since it doesn't look like that John that Palancar interview is coming out for a while, I figured we might as well do something else. Okay. And I figured, uh, since we started those, um, since you were the one that started those evening with interviews that that, that we did a while back. Right. And now you're you're part of the podcast team. I figured we'd do one with you. Sure. That sounds like fun. <clears throat> I always like talking about myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, totally. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. So let's, let's do it. All right, cool. I got a gin. It's delicious. I think and I have coffee. It's peach juice. And a Bucky's cup. Bucky's, that sounds like peach fun. Peach gin? Well, it's, it's gin and peach juice. Oh. Bucky's is a gas station that's the size of a, um, a grocery store. Oh, nice. It has like, like something like 200 and something pumps. Holy shit. Yeah, it's huge. No kidding. And they make like the best brisket sandwiches I've ever had in my entire life. Is there like one of them in the world? No, there's a bunch of them. Is that right? Cool. Yeah, there's two, there's two within like 20 miles of my house. Yeah. My dream is to go to a Piggly Wiggly. I've always wanted to go to a Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> those are down south, man. You can you can really only find those in a couple of places. Is that right? They used to have some in Canada, and I just know that they're yeah. not here anymore. Yeah. They had some in the Outer Banks, like me and Nick and Caroline went. Oh, nice. To one. And that's where we bought breakfast. They don't oh. even have them in Florida really anymore. Yeah. That's old school, man. Very, yeah. very few places have Piggly Wigglies. Well, you know, I just learned this year that you guys call, like, I always thought that Bodega was a brand of convenience store, but that's just what you guys call convenience stores is Bodega. That's just what they call, no, 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 that's just what they call them in New York. Oh, And okay. it's only like a very specific thing is the Bodega. Oh, okay. Like, it's a very specific kind of, like, corner store. store. Yeah. It's not really a convenience store because it's got, like, a restaurant and shit in it. Oh, or not okay. like a restaurant, but like a like a deli counter and sure. you can buy fruit and shit there. I like That's convenience wild. stores down here, you just get cigarettes and combos and booze, fucking soda. Yeah, yeah. that's rad. And you like guys can buy booze. liquor and cigarettes in the same store. You can't buy liquor, just beer. Oh. Well, some states you can buy liquor, dude. You yeah. can buy in New Orleans. You can buy liquor and Walmart. That's cool. Uh, in Seattle, I think you can too. When we went to Seattle the first time, I was grabbing cigarettes and I turned around behind me expecting to see pop in their pop cooler. And they had like two coolers of fucking MGD, like Miller Genuine Draft, just chilling there. I'm like, holy shit, you guys can do this here? <laughs> I mean, you can buy beer anywhere, but not liquor. All right. Liquor's weird. Anyway. So anyway, Cole. Yes. I, I often misspeak and tell people that you found the secret because of Expedition Unknown. But you didn't. You found no. the secret via a podcast called Rabbits, which came out, was it right before or right after Expedition Unknown? I think the first season dropped in 2016. Let me look on Spotify really quick. That's 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 before. That's before. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like July 2016 it came out. Something like that. First episode, second episode we'll look at was actually 
March of 2017 was the second episode. So you could consider the, yeah, March 1 of 2017, it would have come out. Well, the first episode is the one that talked about Byron, right? But it only talked about it at the end. And then they got more into Byron in the second episode. Yeah. If that, I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, they mentioned like um, they mentioned Byron a bit in the beginning, and they kind of discussed the secret itself at the start. But then in the second episode, they they actually sort of um, work Byron into their story as a character almost, but not one we get to meet as listeners, but one that like had some uh, is speculated to have had something to do with the game, right? Yeah. So for people who don't know, Rabbits is like an it's like an ARG podcast like an alternate reality game podcast that's got a bunch of puzzles and stuff mixed in and sort of like a mysterious story based on puzzles. Um, does, is Byron, I know the, uh, I know the podcast is continuing, like it's still going. Is Byron still in it? Like have they mentioned no. him past the, no, no, the secret isn't mentioned, I think past episode three. Um, but yeah, no, it's not, uh, they use um, so they have on their website a notes section where you can go and look at like supplementary pictures and stuff like that. And and in there they have like um, there's one picture from a newspaper of Byron and I think Sean Kelly and somebody else. And they're sitting in front of like a computer screen. Um, oh, it's, it's Arthur C. Clarke. Sorry. Yeah. And then they have the image nine they have on there from the wiki. Um and that was sort of how my path went. Like I, I went from the rabbits websites and stuff to the wiki. And then from there I went on to the Facebook pages and the first person that I talked to at all in any kind of capacity about the secret was JM. Um, I often tell people he was my first secret friend, John Hardipe. I've always considered my second, but I didn't talk to him much, much at the start. Like I, I talked to him a couple times, but then uh, you and I became friends and he sort of, you know, I'm not, he sort of fell off the face of the planet for a while, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, JM, I talked to for like probably two, three weeks before I talked to anyone else. And, uh, cause I thought the was image, he not, for, what, go ahead. Was he nice to you? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Cause he, was he had that habit. He had that habit of like new members. He was like, no, 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 you learn. Then you come back. Yeah, no, he, um, he was he was polite. Uh, he, so what happened was I took, we had actually, Kim and I had just come back, I think from, uh, our trip to Ottawa and, uh, the place where you, there's a park kind of just behind parliament called Majors Island Park. And it, you look up a hill towards parliament and that's where they shoot off fireworks and stuff like on Canada Day and things like that. And so we were there and from that angle, the build, the parliament building looked a lot like the building from the Milwaukee image. And I just was, you know, I was toiling with stuff for a while before I ever met, uh, texted him or anything. And, uh, I said this to him and he, and the first thing he said to me was, well, no one's ever really questioned the Milwaukee puzzle, you know? And I was like, okay, well that's, that's fair. Right. And, and he said, I can see why you think that building looks from that angle, especially looks very similar. Cause they do like I, the photo I sent him was one that I had taken when we were there. And, uh, you know, they do look very, very similar from the angle and stuff, but he's like, the, when you, then that's when he told me about the rebus and things like that. And, and I moved on to Montreal basically right off the bat from there. But, um, yeah, he was, he was always really polite to me. I wonder if you were, uh, the reason, cause I remember, um, before expedition unknown came out, 
John got it in his head that he needed to go and get a picture of City Hall in Milwaukee from the exact angle that it, it is in the painting. He was like, right. I need to walk down there and find out exactly where this picture Byron took was and, and get it angled up correctly. And he really did. Like he found the exact, basically the exact spot Byron's picture was taken from and then took another yeah. picture so that it matched perfectly with that image. And he was like, this will stop right. people from saying that it's something else. It didn't, but you know. <laughs> so you I would be you moved to, to Montreal. Yeah, you moved you, you moved on to Montreal. Like people in America don't don't consider the size of Canada, right? Like we we don't a lot. Sometimes it it sounds bad, but a lot of us don't like see Canada as a country. We see it like as a state that no one lives in, like like North yeah. Dakota or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's just like, it's, it's a place where time and America forgot. Yeah. So, <laughs> so whenever somebody says, Hey, I live in Canada and I'm working on Montreal, people are like, Oh dude, you must be super close to it. And it's fun to go down there. Have you ever been to Montreal? No, we've been really, kind of close. Uh, when you're in uh, Ottawa, there's uh, just, I'm going to have to orient myself here. I think just east of Majors Island Park is there's this bridge you can walk across that takes you to a city called Gatineau, uh, which is in Quebec as well. Uh, it's like a southern tip of Quebec kind of thing. And we went there. Um, but just to give you an idea, like if I wanted to drive to, to let's say, the, the Mount Stephen Club uh, where I want to dig, uh, that's a 37 hour drive from my front door, <laughs> right? It's like a 15 hour flight to Montreal from Alberta. So we're Canada is one of the, I think we're the second most sparsely populated country on the planet. And next to Russia, I think our landmass, um, uh, thanks to the, the parts of like, the parts of Canada that kind of break off in the North towards the North pole and all that, um, not including Greenland and all that stuff. Because of all that, if you kind of compacted it all together, we're one of we're one of the top three largest land masses in north in the northern hemisphere, right? And so, you know, we, you know, are we're a tall a tall country. We're not really a you know super massive country, but <laughs> yeah, Canada's not super it's, tiny. It's so weird imagining people living way up there. Like yeah. Like there are people that live in, in like the Northwest territories that get like a week of daytime. Like that movie, 30 days of night, that movie, 30 days of night isn't entirely off. Like that happens. It's they'll get no day for, you know, two, three weeks and then they'll get nothing but for two, three weeks. Like it's pretty kind of cool. If you were a goth, yeah. like I never want to see the sun. <laughs> I'm going to move to where Santa lives. Yeah, totally. So, so rabbits got you in, you started looking at, at, at Milwaukee and you moved to Montreal. Um, I'm curious because I know your, um, your technique for this puzzle and your ideas for this puzzle have drastically changed from when you first started. Yep. I'm curious how you first began looking at the, at the puzzle, uh, specifically the Montreal puzzle and, and sort of how that has evolved. So when you when you first started looking at the Montreal puzzle, generally people people start looking at it in alternative ways because they feel like you know the old ways haven't worked. We need fresh eyes, fresh ideas, or whatever. What were your some of your first ideas for the Montreal puzzle? 
Uh, well, I'm so call me a geek, but I'm a, I'm a really big fan of that show Prison Break, and uh, I actually have a mock up of the of the one of his tattoos myself. But anyways, uh, watching Wait, that. Do you, sport- have his, do you have his prison? Do you have his prison tattoo on your back? On my tummy. That, you have it on your, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so that show taught me when looking at, at art and, and like especially art with stuff hidden in it, like intentionally hidden in it, um, to look for what I've always called things that look like things, right? So when I looked at the um, all the pictures, like the Montreal one was actually the first image that I saw, but I didn't know it was the Montreal image because I just saw it on the rabbits page, right? And then I decided to, to jump into the secret or whatever. But um, I looked for things in the image that could possibly be actual things in real life, because there had to have been at least representations of things in real life. He's not just going to draw some big abstraction and, and expect you to interpret it properly. Right. So things like um, things like the leg eater, especially like that one was kind of um, kind of given to us in a sense um, from the wiki, like the guy on the wiki got a few things right, at least as far as putting the pages together a little bit. But, um, you know, the columns, um, I mean, a column is a column is a column, right? Like there's what, four different orders of columns uh, that exist and they all basically look, you know, within their order, they all look the same, right? So, I mean, you can imagine that seeing just a column is, is like a representation of something rather than something that's so specific looking as that leg eater symbol or the, you know, the shape of a state or the terminal tower. Like those things are things that look like things in real life, right? Like it's, you know, the Cleveland um, image is rife with these things. And, you know, the dig spot is right there in the picture and all these different parts, you know, are things that look like things in real life. And so that's where I started. I didn't, I probably didn't read verses until, shit a year into working on this stuff because i was so focused on finding those things that could specifically be pulled out and and say and and reasonably guessed as something that really exists out there in the world somewhere right um and yeah so i see a lot of i see a lot of searchers like that now where they where they focus solely on the image back then did you think that you could dig up a cask using just the image was that how you were focusing on it like the the dig spot has to be in this image somewhere i mean why were you ignoring the verse basically um i'm a very visual person that's for me personally it was just i i like looking at things like that like i also thoroughly enjoy reading and things like that but i um when it came to it that i love art like i'm an artist and and what have you but i you know the pictures were just so striking and it was it's an easy in, you know, I won't, I won't deny that it's an easy way to start the puzzle by simply looking at the pictures. And then once I had a kind of a solid idea of what I theorized was in these pictures, um, and again, most specifically the Montreal one, I went to the verses and, uh, you know, the wiki had already kind of done a lot of that work for a guy in a sense. Um, because it was only, it was only ever been, but for Montreal, especially it's only ever been between, as far as I know, between verse five and verse eight, right? Like you could pick either of those two. And the more I looked into it, um, verse five just kind of made a lot more sense to me. Um, and so I jumped on that train kind of early and just sort of stayed there because it just made, like there was so much stuff to connect between the picture and the verse and, you know, the spot that I presumed it was at sort of thing. And, um, 
you know, I just sort of stuck with it that way. I wasn't ever like intentionally discounting the the importance of the verses. I just hadn't gotten there yet. You know what I mean? Like I just took my time to get to the verses to see how to then connect things. Right. Cause I think one thing that we have to learn to do in a lot of ways is see pictures in the verses and see instructions in the images. You know what I mean? And I've sort of always thought that way in a sense, like, cause I've always known like a good puzzle has to tell you how to solve it basically. Right. But um, it just does. So usually in really clandestine manner. So you've always been a verse five guy. You've never switched over to verse eight. No, I've considered it. Like I, I, I've, I've never, well, I shouldn't say I've never discounted it. I I've sat down and listened to a lot of verse eight people talk about it. And, and yeah, like it's just sort of always come down to simply one thing, one line in the entire verse just sort of solves the puzzle for them. And um, it doesn't, that's never yeah, that really dr- the drum unlined. Yeah. It's never really the drum unlined. And then, Mount Royale. Is well, the Drummond the, line and then the cast and copper, a lot of people think, but yeah, there just wasn't enough. And the thing is, is like, like if you use the verse five and you know, a lot of people are going to, are going to completely disagree with this, but once like, if you know where that leg eater is, you know, it's not necessarily a city confirmer because you have to be in the city to ever find it. Right. Like it's so obscure that unless you're in Montreal or Italy where the other one is, you're never going to see that thing. Right. And, you know, but the verse five just tells you, like, as soon as you find that thing, look around. Right. And almost everything in the verse is there. Right. And so it just made more sense. Yeah. I never really understood the whole, like, uh, leg eaters just telling you Montreal people. It's like, we've got a lot of things that tell you the cities. We've got the Statue of Liberty, the Terminal Tower, the Fort in St. Augustine, you know, yeah. Golden Gate Park. We've got um, the Water Tower in Chicago and then some random lamp base on a random, you know, hotel's front stoop that yeah. that's supposed to tell you Montreal. Like, it doesn't no. make any sense. No, and I've then never... I, I feel, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you continue. Well, I feel like I feel like the the verse eight people had some really good ideas and there was some really good conversation with verse eight until Hardipy found granite walls, right? Yeah. Right across the street from the leg eater. Yeah. And I feel like as soon as you as soon as you find word for word um matches in stone from yeah. the verse, Literally. it's it's over. It's done. Yeah. We're 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 in the right spot. Like we we may not know where we start and we may not know where we end, but we know at this point we need to be right here. <laughs> yeah. At some point you gotta be right there. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I've always I've always distinguished like the leg eater to me has always been a site confirmer. Right. Like as soon as you know where that is, because it's hard finding it, right? Unless you live on fucking Drummond Street, it's hard to find it. Right. And uh you know, and so for me, that's a sight thing because so many other things like verse and image wise, I mean, image wise, especially get you to Quebec and Montreal and all that stuff. Right. So, you know, I mean, coordinates aside. Right. I mean, all you need is that really. But um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like people take people take the uh, uh, people take advantage of the fact that we know about the leg eater where they don't realize that we had people who lived in Montreal for years working on this puzzle. And it took 
I think his name was like Ravel on Q4T, who just randomly happened upon the, the leg eater one day and yeah. posted a picture of it and was yeah. like, it's in Montreal. And John Hartopy was like, holy shit, I'm in Montreal. Let's go find it. And it took him hours of driving yeah. around just yeah. to find the damn thing. Like yeah. it's that it's, it's out of the way. It's nothing prominent. It's not something you would know about. Well, but the know. thing is like the, when you really, and like, I've never been the type to think that you like you don't need to know your fifth century Canadian history to to find that cast necessarily, but if like it's not prominent until you know what it is, right? Until you know where it is. Like now that you know it's on the Mount Stephen Club, do a little research into Mount into George Stevenson himself, man. Like he's he's got a, he had his hands in a lot of stuff, right? And so once and so that's where the prominence comes in is what you learn about where they are. Paul Revere, same thing. Like I know nothing about the whole Paul Revere story, but apparently that whole thing is a massive thing in the United States. You know what I mean? And so, you know, for me, like once you discover, yeah, that had something to do with Paul Revere. As an American, probably some people are like, well, holy crap, I know tons of stuff about this because that was huge, right? And once you learn about George Stevenson and his connection to John McDonald and, and you know, the CN Rail and all that stuff, like it's it's huge, right? But it's that thing is so hard to find and so obscure, you know? Yeah. Well, I'd see, I, I often wonder if that's a, a sort of a downside for being a Canadian hunter, right? About the only, um, out of the three solves about the only one that has any sort of history tied to it is Boston. Right. And uh, really it's only like sort of tangentially Paul Revere was here kind of thing. Right. (laughs) And that's, that's something we know a lot about as Americans, but in the same way, you don't know shit about American history. We don't know anything about Canadian history. So I'm wondering if, if that's a downside for Canadian hunters, because Byron, while he's a smart man, wouldn't know as much about Canadian history as you would. So I wonder if, if Canadian hunters can fall into a trap that, you know, they're digging a little bit too deep in their history as opposed to just, as opposed to just looking for what Byron's telling you to look for. Yeah. I've said before that like, because everybody thinks the person in image nine is John McDonald and it would make sense to put somebody like if, if that's what he's going for, like if history was the thing they're going for, then yeah, we both are at sort of a disadvantage in that sense us for 11 puzzles you for one but um i think like i've said before that that if byron was using john mcdonald he was using the version of john mcdonald that we were taught growing up in the 80s and 90s which was that he came over and you know i mean jacques cartier like they taught us that john or jacques cartier discovered canada like those are the words that they used and stuff like that as though nobody else was here when he came here right it's kind of like they do with columbus and and the united states but um you know and i think like i i've cautioned people about about digging too hard into john mcdonald because he i mean he was kind of a tyrant like he was really bad towards the indigenous people of this country uh and basically colonized it for the queen right in much the same way that britain colonized many parts of africa and you know portugal and things like that right and so I've cautioned people against really thinking too deeply into the importance of John McDonald as far as this puzzle goes and look at it only as 
if that is John McDonald, use that as a symbol for Canada and nothing else, right? Like it's he, and I mean, he had offices in, in um, Montreal and stuff like that. And him and George Stevenson were tight. So, I mean, that could help you, I, I guess, kind of narrow down to Montreal, but don't look into it. Like, you know, it's going to bring you to a particular part of town like Paul Revere sort of did in Boston, right? Like, cause that whole thing took place in the North end of town. Right. So that sort of taught you where to go. Whereas with John McDonald, like let it get you to Montreal at best and just stop there as far as that reference goes. Well, I mean, you can devil's advocate that too, because if, if you consider the, the book as a whole, the, the secret as a whole byron was pretty progressive in the messages he was trying to send like mm -hmm. the the dedication for the book is for russian freedom fighters right yeah. the entire front of the book is about the plight of the native americans and yeah. and these these topics the russian freedom fighters not so much but the plight of the native americans was not a popular topic in the no. 80s right no. so he was it, it, it wouldn't have necessarily been a controversial thing for him to write a book about, but no. it, it wouldn't be, you know, the most, the most popular topic. Um, so it, it's, it's possible he was trying to, you know, shed some light on the plight of the indigenous people or, or, yeah. or, or what he did to, uh, to the in indigenous people. Yeah, that's true. So that's I, very true. Yeah. But I mean, I'd, I'd still like I'd have to approach it from what you would know as an American, you know, what you could find out as an American, what's exactly. in encyclopedias and yeah. common books. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. So the Pope is going to be in Edmonton on uh, the 26th. He's coming here to, apolog to apologize to our indigenous people because of all the residential schools that they've that they built, uh, the Catholics and, and what have you built throughout the 1800s. And the very last one closed like 45 minutes from where I live, grew up um, in 1996, I think it was. And, Didn't Justin uh, Trudeau recently do that too? Didn't, no. Wasn't there like a, a... Yeah. Oh, yeah. He did a big apology too, but um, to our country, but because the Catholics like... So there were a bunch of indigenous chiefs that went over to Rome a couple months ago and they talked to him there and he apologized to them there and they said if you really mean it come to alberta and or to canada and he's doing like a countrywide pilgrimage kind of thing to it's his say sorry that's to nice. but it is it's a gesture but it's really expensive and so that's what's controversial about it is that we're paying more to have him come here than the catholics have dedicated to the indigenous people uh, <laughs> for their indiscretions right <laughs> So well, I I feel like it's a nice gesture, but it's one of like a billion things the Catholics have to apologize for oh, at this yeah. point. <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's our controversial podcast statement of the day. Yeah, there it is. Like when you came in to this hunt, um, the community was pretty small. It was it was pretty tight knit because it would have been just before Expedition Unknown, right? So you would have mm -hmm. you were you were you were around before just before the the big rush. So it was, it was pretty tight knit. What, um, what kept you around? Like a lot of people who, who come in look at this puzzle or at least who came in before expedition unknown, looked at the puzzle for about 25 minutes and then we never saw them again. What about the secret drew you in and kept you around? Um, I thought I had good ideas and, and I wanted, <laughs> and, and, and so I thought I had good ideas but I also definitely had good listeners, right? I met people that wanted to hear them and talk about them and, and not just necessarily shot on, like shut them down um, immediately. Um, 
which was really nice about JM when I first started talking to him because some of the ideas I was throwing him, and I mean, even you too, that when you and I first met, we were talking about the underground city in Montreal and I was obsessed with this underground, underground thing because there was no outsideness in the picture, right? That was one of the first things I noticed was that it was the only one that had no reference to being outdoors. And if it was in Montreal, I thought it would be cool if it was underneath in the underground city, right? Like that just made a lot of sense to me. Um, and then, of course, I, I, I met John Hardipy and he talks sense. <laughs> um, he has a habit of doing that. He does do that well, actually. Yeah. But um, no, and it was just I met some really cool people and, and we were all about as enthusiastic about the whole thing as, as each other. And, um, you know, back then it wasn't um, it wasn't a lot of the same thing every day. Like there was still the birth of new ideas coming in. Right. It wasn't having to answer to 10 or 12 new people that thought they had a brand new idea that was 10 years old by now kind of thing. Um, and it was just it was just a little bit calmer, despite how many people there were like there were there was still a few thousand people, but it wasn't where it is now sort of thing. Right. And uh, also, I, I always I'm, I'm a bit of a braggart in a sense. And I, I always really liked the fact that I, of the people that I was hanging out with in the groups and stuff, I was the only one that didn't, hadn't seen expedition unknown. Right. Like I was, I, you know, I was proud of that. But. Have you seen it since? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Oh, well, but um, do you, do you think that's the, because a lot of, I, rem- I remember back then, and there was the spirit of, of teamwork and communication, and a lot of new members complain, and it's true, that, that that's not really uh, – it's hard to find somebody that's willing to listen to you now. Mm. And do you think what you were saying before is the reason for that? Because it's just people jumping in with ideas that have been rehashed 100,000 times and they just won't let it go? Or, or do you think it's because people are jumping in, not researching anything, and just going and – just like shooting and firing shots in the dark, basically. What do you, what do you think caused the, the sort of change in, in attitude towards new members? Um, the very first thing I think that caused it all was just the massive influx of new members that we got from the other EU episodes after that. Right. And, um, cause every time an episode would show up, how many new members do you think we got, you know, at least 500, you know, and then you break that apart to 12 different groups and those same people are joining all the other groups. Like it just, it's, it's just a lot of voices in one room and they're all talking at the same time, basically. Right. And, you know, you see it a lot where people, you know, people jump in and tell other people to do it's the, it's the same virus of regular social media, right. Where it's, you get the do your own research people and you get the, you know, you know, I mean, we have the search functions and all that stuff, but the thing is, is that people join these groups to talk to other people, right? And I think that so when when so many people flood a space wanting to talk to everybody else at the same time, it you know the system kind of breaks down. There, there's no real um, cohesion. There's no coherence to the whole thing. It's just a lot of voices all at once, right? Stand in the middle of a concert crowd and try to pick out five or six different conversations, right? And it's just like, it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard to, to kind of think about one particular thing at a time because there's just so much stuff getting thrown at you. Right. Um, but like, it would be great if, and like, of course I don't want this, but in, in kind of an ideal setting, if the main group 
disbanded and everybody from it went to their respective city groups, right? It would like, it might be a little easier to um, have these conversations again, right? Because the population would shrink inevitably of each group. And, um, you know, I just like in the, I mean, whatever, it's just, I'm talking up my ass now, but well, I just so think the, that it, so the I- Go ahead. The idea behind the main group versus all of the city groups was that if you want to specifically talk about the cities, do it there. But the puzzle as a whole also needs to be discussed and the That's interconnected true. parts of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, it, it's so weird. Like I, when Expedition Unknown, when the first episode came out, there was already an established community of people who knew the history of the secret, knew what was going on, knew how to talk about it. So when that first influx of, I don't know, three, 3000 people came in, there was a core group of a couple hundred or whatever. They could talk to anybody about anything. Right. This, and then they got it. Those new members that came in, got another year or so to catch up. Right. So when the second episode of expedition unknown came out, there was the core group plus the new members had learned enough so that they could talk to the people that were just coming in about the secret and sort of catch them up. But then immediately the third one came out. And then immediately after that, the fourth one came out and we hit newspapers and podcasts and yada. So there wasn't enough time in between all of that for new people to learn. So it was just like wave after wave after wave of new people asking the same questions and then new people answering new people's questions. And uh, it it, it got a little crazy. I really wish they had they had spaced those out longer so that people had a chance to catch up. (laughs) But anyway, but the community, I guess it, it, it is what it is now. And I think I think it's settling down. I think there's there's still a good bit of like new members talking to new members without knowing what the hell they're talking about. But I think it's, I think it's starting to calm down into more of a, because it's been so long into more of a a communicative and, you know, teamwork environment. Yeah. Or at least, at least it it definitely is in private. Yeah. Well, that's, I was just going to say, like I, for me personally, I have, you know, I can probably count on both hands how many people that I consider myself like close with in the community. Um, I'm willing to talk to literally anybody in it and do all the time. Like I get random messages from people constantly and I love it, but um, you know, like people that I have private conversations with are, that aren't about the secret within the community, right. Are kind of are, you know, five to 10 people. Right. And, uh, and I think that's like, to me, that's been really beneficial, like narrowing down that group of people that you talk to about things helps a lot. You know, it helps to kind of reduce the noise. Um, it's much easier to agree to disagree with with one person than it is like 30 or 40 other people, right? Um, where, you know, I think this is this and you don't. And so, you know, at this point in time, we can both kind of agree to disagree and move on to the next thing. Try that with 30 or 40 other people in the room. And you're always going to get those people that are like, well, you don't have a cask. So everything you say is wrong and, you know, and all this stuff and what have you, right? So the, you know, streamlining and shrinking down your, 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 um, teams, if you will, is, is helpful. Right. And then once, once the team agrees on something, take that out into the community, right? So if you work with four or five other people and you come up with an idea and you've, you know, what I call Dr. Housed it down to the point where it's irrefutable, you know, it to the group, take that out into the community and say, Hey, 
you know, me and a group of friends got together and this is a, an idea we had. We worked on it for a week and figured this stuff out. What do you guys think? Right. And then let everyone tear it apart. Don't just walk out there with a bunch of stuff and say, this is my idea. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, but I'm finding a lot of people are not interested in that at all. Like no. they just want pats on the head. <laughs> They yeah. just want to be like, oh, is what it, here, here's here. This is all correct. And they want everybody to go like, yay, you yeah. got it right. The words I think have completely disappeared from the lexicon of the secret. And to me, that's one of the most damaging parts of, of to any conversation in the whole thing. Because when people walk in and they say, this is this, rather than say, I think this is this, you've instantly stopped the invitation for conversation. You know what I mean? Like when you just tell me straight up, this is this, there's no point in me asking you to refute it or anything because you've already made up your mind. There's no um, avenue for questioning. And it's just like, well, I'm going to just ignore you then. Right. But if you roll in, like I made a post actually a long time ago and I kind of got, um, I'm not going to use the word ostracized necessarily, but I was attacked for it a little bit where I said, you know, if you want people to take your post seriously, throw these kind of words in like stop using absolutes right use words like i think and this could be but you know or you know like a lot of times when i if i ever post ideas which lately has been very few and far between but when i do i always say things like i could be wrong but this is how i'm perceiving this you know what i mean because that avoids that avoids being looked at as a kind of like a, a total jerk first of all but second of all it invites conversation because that's what that's what i think true key searchers really want right is we want people to look at our ideas and say that's wrong and this is why let's talk about it right we don't want people to just say well you don't have a cask so that doesn't matter right because that also just shuts everything down there's no point in discourse at that point and to me that's probably the most disappointing thing in the whole community growth thing is that it's just shut down reasonable discourse you know because at the end of the day, just like any other place on social media, if somebody disagrees with you, they just throw one of those kind of statements on and now it's, you know, that's it. It's right. Yeah, it's pointless. Like we get emails constantly to the to the podcast um, Gmail account. Like we got one today where one, one person was like, I've solved four of the cities and he wanted someone to meet him out in San Francisco. And he was like, I'll show you exactly where the cask is. And it's like. And what you know what's the point just go get it like if yeah. you've solved them all what's there to have a conversation about why why do i want to meet you yeah. like i'll meet you after you dig it up you know it, there's yeah. it like all, all of my interest is gone when you're like i've solved it all like well okay well there's nothing left to talk about just go dig a hole yeah i've got no pictures <laughs> that's what i don't get like if I, i've never understood why people think that's going to do anything you know what i mean like especially at this point like i mean i love the guy but so i hope he doesn't take this the wrong way but johnny windex has existed far too long for people to still come on and be like hey i have no pictures of the cask or anything and i have no you know um we're gonna use his word context or anything like that but i have solved it all and all that kind of stuff and it's like listen man like you know you kind of walked in the door the wrong way in doing something like that, right? Like we are, none of us are buying that sort of stuff. Unless you literally have a picture of it in your hand, you're never going to get anywhere. Or when they do have a picture, it's just a rock. Yeah. Like, come on, man, we're adults. We understand what pottery is. We understand that we have, you know, pottery from a thousand years ago that still looks like pottery. It hasn't devolved back into rock. 
like a cask it might be broken up but you're still going to be able to tell it's a cask yeah i'm surprised somebody's never tried like terracotta you know try to pull that one on us right like how many fakes have we had in the last five years i guess two now and you know i'm surprised somebody hasn't been dumb enough to do terracotta (laughs) there's been a lot more than just two fakes there's only been two where that's like it was it was public, but there's been a lot of people who are like, I found it. Here's a picture and it's a rock. Uh, yeah. One guy found like a flat, like a, like a asphalt flagstone. And he was like, this is New York. It's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's a little nuts. Yeah. So let's go back in time. Okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about baby coal. Maybe not baby okay. coal, but sure. baby coal till you found the secret were you um like back when you were a kid were you into this kind of stuff were you into like puzzles or puzzle solving video games that kind of stuff yeah um i wasn't uh let's just say i didn't have a lot of friends and so and i was a big reader when i was younger i didn't do tv a lot music was always more my thing when it came to entertainment um but I, uh, my parents subscribed me to things like highlights magazine. And, uh, we had a, we had a nature magazine on here called Ranger Rick and, uh, it was cute as shit. It was just, this raccoon was the main, uh, and they always had like nature puzzles and things. And, you know, like those I spy books, things like that. Um, I really enjoyed stuff like that. Did a lot of connect the dots when I was super, super young. Um, and jigsaw puzzles were always kind of a thing for me too. Um, but I just like uh, mystery was a, th- a big thing for us growing up. You know what I mean? And like we had the original unsolved mysteries and we always would gather around and watch that. Um, we actually had these, there was a series of books put out by I think Nova or national geographic. I can't remember. They were these black hardcover books and they were beautiful. And each one was about a different kind of mystery. So each one was like a mist uh, an aliens and like Sasquatch and like um, what else? Was I think you're talking about remember. the time life series. Maybe they might have been time life actually. Now you mention it, but they were beautiful books and we had them. They had like ghost ones, like paranormal stuff and what have you, right? So I was always really big into those kind of things and, um, you know, solving puzzles in this sense. Like the secret is probably the first armchair treasure hunt, like that lots of us have ever done. But this is definitely my next to rabbits, I guess. The secret is the first kind of real one that I've put any sort of effort into. Um, and uh, yeah. So yeah, I have yeah, I've always been into, into stuff like this. Video games, I was always big on like um, what did I play a lot when I was younger? Uh, fighting games, I was big on because they were first like they first started really coming out in the in the early '90s, right? Um, with Street Fighter and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. So have you since since finding the secret? I'm I'm assuming you've you've sort of found that you like armchair treasure hunts have you have you gone outside of the secret and looked at any of them yeah um so um i mean rabbits but there's also uh so i got kane's jawbone which is a fun one from uh 1932 i think is when it first came out and it's only been solved by three people ever which is rad um my dad actually strangely enough um it was actually, it was kind of a really weird story. Brett Zingler posted something about it in, in the mods chat one day. And like two days later, my dad texted me saying, Hey, I've read about this book. You should check it out. Cause you're into treasure hunting. And it was Kane's Jawbone. So I found it on Amazon and I ordered it. It was, it was like 15 bucks Canadian or something like that. And I got it. 
and um yeah like i i, I mean i still pull that one out once in a while because it's a beast like it's it's such a for being such a small book it's only 100 pages it's such a massive puzzle and uh it's it's it would take a long time there's a reason only three people have solved it since 1932 you know what i mean it's almost 100 years ago um but then you did one, but then you made I, your what's that but then you made your own but then you made your own puzzle I started to, yeah. I, I I created the the Blue Sage Puzzle Company, and as sort of like an experiment, and it's been going well. I guess I'm on to puzzle number six now. But I, of course, I'm inspired by all these other puzzles that I've done, um, but you know that I participate in myself, and I sort of just take elements from each one, throw in a few things, and then I do I use my own art to to kind of make them. Um, but I I participated in one for a while called the Will uh my good buddy brody down in new orleans got me into that one and it was way over my head like it was it was so crazy because it left so much room for possibility and that's what makes these kind of puzzles really hard is that when there's so much room for possibility and vagueness then it's just like well you know literally until you're holding the prize in your hand you can't be right 100 percent, right um and I, and I think that's part of what I like about this sort of thing is just like, you know, um, the, the not knowing if you're right or not, right, until you're right. So uh, piggybacking off of that, let me let me ask you a question about the secret. So you're talking about puzzles being difficult because they leave a lot of area for for things to be vague. Do you think that's a problem with the secret or do you think that people make it a problem with the secret. Like it's not actually a problem with the secret, but people make it that way. I'll give you an example. We have, we have all of these wild ideas, right? About what various lines and the puzzles mean. But when you go back to Chicago, it's not vague at all. It's very like, this is, this is, this is this, and this is carved in stone. And here's this monument and go down here and follow the directions and dig up a cask. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think, in a sense, both are true. Um, when it comes to the verses, especially, I think we, we have a tendency, I think we are drastically making it more complicated verse wise than it needs to be. Right. Like you can take, and that's like, I mean, I guess that's the beauty and the horror of literature is that you can write something and it can be interpreted 10,000 different ways. Right. Um, and I think we're, we're taking things not literally enough when it comes to the verses. And I think we're taking things, almost too literally with the images, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like people are looking to the images to find their maps and find their, you know, what have you. And, you know, like I look to the images to find the things that are basically way markers on the paths, right? Like um, there's that Chicago walkthrough that I think, um, I don't know who did it on YouTube. Was it, was it you or somebody did a Chicago walkthrough where like, as you're watching the video, they walk through and they look at the thing and then it'll, the words will come up on the screen, like from the verse kind of thing. Right. Okay. Anyways, um, you know, that one basically shows you that like, okay, you're walking a certain way. You look a certain distance, there's the Bowman. Okay. And then you go a certain way, there's the fountain. And then you attach those verse lines to it and so on. Right. And I think people want to look at the, ver at the images and see, you know, they want to see Christopher Columbus and then they want to dig into the history of Christopher Columbus and how he came over here in 1492 and they want to know all this stuff. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're making it much too vague, much too difficult. It doesn't need to be that. Look how easy, like the 
Boston was such a slap in the face, I think, and a comedic, a comedic one, right? Because it was sitting there looking us in the eye the entire time. And like, if we could look at things that, like, and same with Cleveland, you know what I mean? Like Cleveland wasn't as much a slap in the face, but I mean, Cleveland was so obviously right there. You know, I wonder, you know, I have asked a few times, like, what if Google didn't exist, right? How would Cleveland have been dug up if, if Google wasn't around, right? And it still would have been, I think, I think Cleveland still would have been pretty, pretty simple, right? Because it's all right there. It's literally in the picture. All you got to do is find that and you're there. You know what I mean? And that doesn't translate as well to Chicago necessarily because, you know, there's not a, a giant head with a castle on top of it anywhere that you can find and look at, right? There is a, you know, that wall is in Cleveland in between those columns from a distance, you know, that's really there in real life in that picture. Right. And, uh, you know, but I think when it comes to, so when it comes to the verses and stuff like that, yeah, I think we're, we're kind of over, over complicating them, but I think that might've been part of Byron's intention, right? Make it vague enough that they go off on a tangent. Right. Um, I don't think like if he ever predicted that it was, I don't know that this is the exact wording, but if, if he ever actually predicted that it would be solved within a year or two, I think he did so probably in a bit of a somber tone, right? Like he probably didn't want it to be solved forever, right? He, if he was still alive today, he'd probably be happy as a pig and shit that this has taken this long to find, right? Because that would validate him as a treasure hunter or a treasure hunt designer, you know, and things like that. So it's, you know, I don't know. So one of the, one of the first, like one of the only times that I've talked to Josh Gates was when they were filming the Charleston segment for the second episode. And he called me and it was about, they were out at white point gardens and they were talking about, he was talking about this idea. Somebody had that he wanted him to dig, which was way over on one, like the uh, completely other side of the park from where most people think the cask is buried. Right. It's at the sundial. And he, he, he got to a kind of a convoluted way. And, and I asked him, uh, we, we were talking and I was like, okay, just thinking about this for TV's sake, you're going to use this entire verse to go basically two blocks in this park. And then you're going to use one line to go all the way to the other end of the park, like a quarter mile away. Like it's not going to make any sense. And I asked him, I was like, you know, May 1913, right? I was like, you know what that is. You know exactly where that is. And say that's step three in the puzzle if you know where you're supposed to be for step three what does step like step one and step two doesn't really matter right yeah. just start yeah. with step three and continue so I'm, I'm curious like why new hunters don't take that approach there's so many of these puzzles where we know concrete where something in the verse is in yeah. montreal we know where granite walls is Charleston, yep. we know where 1913 is, stuff like that. Why, instead of coming up with these grand solutions that involve like history books nobody's ever heard of before, why not start where you know where something is and work backwards or work forwards? Like to me, that seems like if we're, if we're comparing Chicago, Boston, Cleveland, yada, 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 whatever, even taking into consideration that the puzzles might get more difficult, that seems like the most logical way to start. Start yep. where something concrete from the verse is. Yeah. And that's why I was like before when you when you were asking me about how I started the puzzles when I was working on them, that's exactly what I meant was 
start where like find things that look like things right in real life find those things like the terminal tower or you know whatever it is speculate look at the pictures and speculate what you think might be a thing that is there in real life and start on that right and go from there like if you let's say the eagle in new york there was only ever one of them like that ever made and you knew that well then you've already got your foot well into the door on the puzzle right because you know you're going to new york you know basically where that eagle is right so let's like you know what i mean like if you knew where these things are then you're kind of people are you know are a lot further ahead than they think but they kind of they sort of stop at getting anywhere because they want to get really vague you know what i mean and they want to find all these esoteric answers and things like that but it's just like you say like start where you know things are and go from there Especially, especially after the coordinates were found. Like once you know those coordinates, man, that narrows down your search a whole bunch, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Something I was just thinking about, like I was thinking about that walkthrough that you were talking about with Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you go to a spot, let's say you get to, um, answer Congress R is known, right? And in the walkthrough, you're standing at, uh, the corner of a road and you're, you're staring at Congress hotel and, uh, Roosevelt University, right? Yeah. And then you look behind you and there's something from the painting. And the Bowman, while it's like a big major thing in Chicago, I, I'm just a dude in Florida. I'm not going to know shit about it, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck the Bowman is. If, if I hadn't found the secret, I would never know what the Bowman was. Right. What if Montreal works the same way? What if, because the Citadel is not, necessarily next to like the Salvation Army where where Citadel's written in stone, right? Yeah. That's not next necessarily next to the club, right? But yeah. Granite Walls is definitely right across the street from the Leg Eater. What if Montreal does have a path and it works like Chicago wherein there's a part of the verse, there's something from the image to tell you this is part of the verse, right? Yeah. Like the Leg Eater's there to confirm Granite Walls is the right thing, but you still have to continue. I don't know the I don't know the distance between the Citadel. They're actually pretty close. Like when you're so let's say you walk out of out of Mount Stephen Club and you're looking out onto Drummond Street um, with your back to Mount Stephen Club. Uh, granite walls is to your right, like kitty corner across the street. It's not very far. And Citadel is on the same side of the street as you, and I think it's like a block and a half down to your left, right? So it's giving you parameters essentially. Right, because those two things are on either end of you, right? Granite walls is on your right, the citadel is on your left, and then the leg eater is directly behind you with the new with the fleur de lis that we know is covered up right underneath it, right? So I mean, it's not a big like that's not a huge, um, you know, it could still be a path, sure, but it would just be a really small one, I think. By the time you get to granite walls, you're not very far into the verse and you're before Citadel, right? Like you should see granite walls before you see Citadel. So what if you just go in the opposite direction? I don't know. See, now I'm just spitballing about Montreal. We don't, I don't know that much about Montreal and we don't talk about it. Uh, well, no, hang on. We can talk a little bit about it, but it's funny that you say that you'd be going the opposite direction. Um, if you did the other thing, right. Going from Citadel to granite walls because of all the verses that I've worked on in here, I've always said that verse five works just as well, if not better backwards uh, than it does forwards, right? Like to start with, to dig out, get permission and end on lane. 
it reads just as as sensi- as sensibly that way as it does the other way. Um, so you could go from either one of those starting points and get to the center the same way, right? I mean, maybe, but I, I mean, I, I feel like that's the same as as Charleston or not Charleston, um, the same as Cleveland. Like people make the argument that the Cleveland verse is written upside down, but that's because the entire thing happens within, you know, 20 feet of itself. Like it's just calling out different stuff. It doesn't matter which way you do it. You always end up at the same place because it's not having you go anywhere. It's just having you look for shit. So no matter which order you look for these things, you're, you're, you're doing the same shit. You're, you're digging the same place. Yeah. hundred percent. But with Montreal, if it's any kind of path, I'm not, I don't, I wonder how that would work. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's, it's just offering you a chance to go from either end. Right. And, uh, get to, but either way you end up at the club. Yeah. That's my thing. Yeah. hundred percent. I think I've never thought to look at it hmm, this way before. I'm going to have to dig into Google earth a little bit on this. one. Well, we're going to do a new Montreal here soon. So, yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, you you said Rebecca wanted to do it with you. Yeah. And, uh, Woodford said he's probably in. Okay. I tried tapping one other guest, but he was, he was not, uh, available. So, Gotcha. That sucks. You know, yeah. I I said all along that I would have loved to have gotten Sabrina and like John Hardipe together just to yell at each other. Like, could you imagine how much yelling would happen? Oh, God. Uh, and how much it would be. Survivor? Half of it would be in French. And like, I'm sure once Sabrina would get going, her French would come out, right? Kind of like Spanish <laughs> people. A lot of like Spanish ladies sometimes, right? They get mad at you and then they just start yelling Spanish words really fast at you, right? Yeah. And then John would just be like, I know I live here, but I'm American. I don't know these words. I don't know these words. (laughs) Quick, let me get my son. (laughs) Yeah. He can translate your insults. Yeah, exactly. Edit that part out. (laughs) (laughs) No, dude, totally leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) Um so I know like you had a you had an idea for um an episode that i i really liked but it's touchy and i don't know if you want to talk about any of it here um or if you want to wait and do your own because i don't want to stand in the way of that episode i think it's good Mm -hmm. i think it's a good idea it's just it's you're it's it's touchy because especially with it being your first by yourself i don't want you to come out of the gate and just piss everybody off (laughs) that's what (laughs) like like me and brett were talking about it it's like when you come out you sort of um, you, it, your your first impression is what people are going to think of you. Yeah, and if you're just coming out like you guys are all fucking idiots, yeah. um, you're you're going to end up like I, I, I don't even Josh Cornell maybe I don't know. You're just going to yeah. end up with a lot of people mad at you. Yeah, no, so, I don't want that. Um, but it's a it's a damn good idea for an episode, which you should still do. You're just going to have to be careful. Yeah, I will. I'll do a little more planning on it. The Montreal one will be good, though, because that'll at least be like, Cole is an expert on Montreal. Here is a conversation about Montreal. Yeah. Listen to it. Is there um, is there anything that you feel like we should point out in your Cole-only interview? Um, No. 
I mean, I just always, I always wanted to be part of the the podcast group because it was, you know, I had things I wanted to say, you know what I mean? And it's, it's a lot of fun. I was already friends with most of you, um, you know, prior to joining sort of thing. I remember how many times I would ask you if there was an opening <laughs> in the podcast group, um, you know, and I just like, I, I feel like, and this is going to sound kind of arrogant, but in a sense, this is me. I, I feel like I've, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word earned my spot in the show because I, you know, like I, I worked with all of you guys and it was never like a, you know, there was never like a, an angry argument or like a, that idea is stupid. And, and that it was literally just like, let's talk about these ideas and hash them out. Right. And so it was like, you know, it was important for me to eventually get to, I'm going to use the word at the top, I guess. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Where I can, where I can talk to everybody. We are far from the top, sir. Right. No, I know that, but I'm just saying like, I, I, I was, I wanted to be able to talk to the whole world about it. Right. And this is how I do that. So, well, I mean, I, I think you, I think you definitely earned it. Like whatever, you know, it's not like a surprise. It's going to be no. more of a headache than you realize, but like, you're the, I, I know for the longest time, people didn't go to you and especially about Montreal, but I think that's because John was around Yeah, and John was sort of your, like, it was one of two roads and you go to the the guy that the podcast says knows everything about Montreal. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but when people did go to you, it was always a positive experience, right? Mm-hmm. You always helped people and you never treated them badly. You never insulted people. Like, I don't know anybody that doesn't like Cole. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know plenty of people that don't like George. I, I know plenty of people that don't like George. I know plenty of people who don't like Brett. I know like four, four people who actually like Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah coincidentally as far as i can tell the only people i know don't like me from the community aren't part of it anymore so um, <laughs> you know take that how That's you fine. will <laughs> i don't like me either you know what i mean but i just you know i don't because i was treated very well when i first joined the community and and threw out all my crazy ideas to people privately and i you know and so i, I guess in homage to jm i have to do that Right. Like I would feel like a jerk if I didn't help people out and read their at least give their ideas to the time of day. Right. I wouldn't feel right because of the way like to me, he was the kind of the 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 epitome, I guess, of the type of person I would want to meet in this group to hunt for treasure with. Right. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, came everybody else after that. Right. Like, of course, Nick is like one of my bestest best friends in the whole wide world full stop not just in the community you know him and carolyn and you and and rachel and stuff and you know there were a few others before that came and went and and i guess they were meant to but you know i'm not here to make enemies i don't think anybody is it just sort of happens (laughs) but no i mean i just i love talking about the secret regardless of what city or what it is i think i've worked on it long enough now that i can at least hold a conversation about, you know, any of the cities, ask at least the right questions. But well, I think you're more knowledgeable about it than you give yourself credit for you Canadians and not having pride in yourself. And (laughs) yeah, what did I tell someone the other day? The only thing we know about is weed apology and (laughs) (laughs) self-loathing. 
No, I mean, I, I would honestly say, I think you, you know, a lot more than you think, than you give yourself credit for. And I think you're a lot more valuable to the community than you give yourself credit for. I think more people have respect for you than you, than you think. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what there is to earn in being part of the podcast team, but you earned it. It's, yeah. it's all yours. Well, thank you. Yeah. The respect is what I wanted. Yeah. So now we're going to like put you in charge of talking to everybody. Like yeah. if you email the podcast team, now you just talk to Cole. You're just getting Cole. <laughs> he runs <Yeah>. interference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm going to get to planning the Montreal. Uh, I've got the guests pretty much lined up and, uh, I'm just going to tell them why I'm right and they're wrong. That should be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be good. And then Chris Woodford is going to tell me how much of an idiot I am. Well, yeah, he does that in a weird way where he doesn't actually tell you. He just says words that you can't comprehend. And you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You're fucking super smart. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. At least he's really nice about it. Yeah, Canadians. (laughs) Yeah, we're good at that.